Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them the Beatitudes. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Before I get into the sermon part of it, I just want to talk about uh, what church is and and. What church is, is what we just witnessed, which is the father uh, playing in the praise team and then a son coming up to read the scripture. We, we pass down uh, our faith. Did you know that? We teach the next generation how to do church. And I love to watch it around here, whether it's, it's uh, in acts of worship, whether it's ushering in the back and seeing families do that. Friends, we do this together. And our, and our younger folk are watching us and learning from us. And I think it's real important that we celebrate that uh, every Sunday morning. I tell you what, I don't know if I can preach after that, that special music uh, that just went on. Um, I know I can't follow Tammy's shoes. Those shoes are, are shiny today, Tammy. Um, I have a sparkly coat that I can preach in. Do y'all want me to wear it one Sunday? I have one. Uh, my previous church, I used to tell them I wanted to be a televangelist. Then COVID hit and made us all televangelists. Um, so they, they bought me a sparkly jacket. You'll see Kate Rivers running around with it sometimes. They like it um, too, but, but I, I, I can wear it, but I'll need to borrow Tammy's shoes, I think, to go, to go with it, to, to show it off. Uh, there was one point in my ministry where, you know, as an itinerant Methodist preacher, I'm used to going into churches. Uh, I kind of, I feel like I know what I'm doing by now. You go from one place to another, and as you get into one place, you evaluate it, and you adjust, and they adjust, and you try to do a good thing together. But there was one point in my ministry where the conference decided that I would be awesome at church planting. That's where you start a church. Now, the conference was wrong about that, but they thought that I would be awesome at that. So they sent me uh, into a new place, and I realized for the first time in my ministry that I never thought about how you would get a ministry off the ground. You know, I'd walked into established places with established visions and established community. I'd never thought about what do you do when you get to start it from scratch. From the ground up, from the bottom up, you get to surround yourself with your people and do your thing and see if you could make this church an exciting and powerful place 
for the kingdom of God. So they, they decided I was going to do that. They told me I was going to be appointed in June. I went in June, and then I raised my hand at, at a meeting with the district superintendent, and I said to them, uh, I don't know anything about church plant. Don't know anything about it. And they go, you should know something about it. And I go, I agree. I think, I think it's, it would be invaluable if I knew something about it. So they said, okay, we'll send you to a workshop in August. R what month did I go? June. And they were sending me in August. So July, we pretty much wasted that month. That's, that's your conference apportionments at work. And I just, you know, I, I, I tried to go around and meet people and do that kind of thing. But I finally went to the workshop and it was taught by a fella named Jim Griffith. And Jim Griffith had a, a lot of things to say about church planting. He had started, uh, I think it was 13 churches that had all survived and were all doing well. And he gave us a strategy. He said, if you follow this, you'll be successful. Friends, he lied because I tried. Maybe I just didn't follow it long enough. But as I, as I finished the, the weekend, I sat down with him and explained to him what the conference wanted me to do and where they wanted me to do it and how it was set up. And I remember what Jim Griffith said. He put his hand on his forehead. He sat in a chair and he looked at me and he said these words. And it was wise words. Wise. He looked at me and said, Run. He said, run. He said, I don't want to say what God can't do, but I don't think it'll be successful. That's why I moved in November. But before I moved, I heard him say this. If you want to start a church, if you're ready to launch a ministry, here's what you do. You define your demographic. Who are you trying to reach? Who are you trying to reach? And he said, you know, you think you want to cast a wide net? Don't do that. Make it focus. Focus. I want to, uh, like Andy Stanley did in Atlanta, uh, I, he wanted to reach males between the ages of 20 and 40. And so everything in church focused on males aged 20 to 40. Now, that's not the only people in his church, but that's his target demographic. You've got to define your demographic. You've got to make uh, the, the sphere small so that you can target a specific group of people. And then he said, you've got to formulate a funding plan. Here's what he said. You've got to be able to raise money. If you can raise money, you can start a church. Then he said, oh, you need to get valuable endorsements. Find people who carry favor in the area and get them to give you a seal of approval. You need to check out Keith's new church. You need to check out Jim's new church. You need to do this or that. Get endorsements from important people. And then he said, make sure to do things that build momentum. Everything needs to be better than the thing before. Everything needs to be bigger than the thing before. Make sure you've always got that positive momentum. And he said, more than anything, to start a church, you've got to build a crowd. You've got to build a crowd. You've got to get lots of people because it's about people. Do everything you can to add people instead of subtracting them is what he would say. And then at the very end, he said, oh, and by the way, craft a vision. Craft a vision. So that was kind of the model for church planting success. That's how you do it. Now, as we read Matthew today, I want you to realize one thing. This is Jesus's first act of public ministry in the gospel of Matthew. 
In other words, it's his coming out party. It's his chance to launch this successful public ministry of Jesus the Christ. Uh, Jesus the Christ, you know, he's a spokesman. Who could be better? Um, um, uh, this son of God, who could be better at starting a church than that? And he picks a great topic. Several years ago on Twitter and on Facebook, there was a trending hashtag. If you don't know what a hashtag is, older folks, it's the pound sign. It's the number sign. And kids, if you don't know, a hashtag was the number sign and the pound sign before it was a hashtag. But this hashtag was going around and it was a one word hashtag and you would see folk on it and they'd be standing by their Tesla or they'd be holding up a wad of money or they'd be doing this. And you know what the hashtag was? Blessed, blessed. Now as a, as a pastor, I could have held up like a dollar bill and said, blessed, you know, I couldn't stand by, I could stand by my Honda Civic, blessed, yeah. I was at Forest General the other day and I, I parked my car in the clergy spot. And when I came out, there's a Porsche and an Infinity SUV on either side of me. And I thought, which churches do they serve? You know, that blessed, you know, blessed. Um, that's what their license plate should have been. Blessed Rev, you know, on the back. But it was going around Facebook, bless, 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 bless. And I was looking at it, scratching my head. And I thought to myself, you know what? When Jesus launches his ministry in the Beatitudes, when he shares in the fifth chapter of Matthew, he's hit his demographic. He knows his audience. And he would be so successful in the 21st century world because his entire ministry is launched on one word and one word only. What is it? Blessed. All right, Jesus, let's go. Let's build something great. Let's do this. Who better? It's almost like you could see Jesus uh, getting ready for his infomercial. I'm going to start my ministry. I'm going to start my church blessed. And then as he, as he gets ready and he's talking about blessing, 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 he looks at the congregation and says those words that we don't want to hear for starting a church. But wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. And, and I, I want to look at Jesus and go, oh, Jesus, you're not following the Jim Griffith plan. Stop it, blessed. Blessed is good. Blessed is a bumper sticker. Blessed is a hashtag. Blessed is kind of general and, and big and out there. Blessed doesn't mean anything. We can, we can hit a large audience with that. We can grow a church with that. We can get a crowd with that. But wait, there's more. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. And here's the part where he loses his new church. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice. He's lost his mind. This is a terrible 
way to launch a church. He picks the wrong different demographic. He doesn't have funding in place. He doesn't have endorsements unless you count John the Baptist and John the Baptist's family. So what? No Pharisees or Sadducees signed on. The crowds are decent, but it's not anything anybody's going to take notice of. And he gives this unappealing vision of this blessing that doesn't sound like blessing at all. In fact, as folks heard him come out into public ministry and he started giving off the Beatitudes, I imagine most of them looked at each other and go, wait, what did he say? What did he say? What What does he mean? If we were helping him, we'd probably fall back into our safe strategies. We'd turn to the old reliables. There are sermons that are easy to preach and well-received. Jesus could do that. In fact, I've seen it lately. I was flipping through years ago. I was flipping through the cable channels, and I came across a televangelist. Now, I don't go seeking them out, but if I, if I go by one and I see one, I'll stop and watch and see what they say. And this televangelist was on the TV, and he was good at it, real good at it. I won't tell you which one. He had an accent like mine, though, um, uh, so th- that's a hint. But most televangelists are from the South, so they've got an accent. But he was going to town. And he kept asking this question, and it stopped me in my tracks. He said, he kept saying, all God wants for you. All God wants for you. So I stopped. I wanted to know, what does God want for me? All God wants for you. And then he would talk for a minute, and he'd come back and go, all God wants for you. And he'd talk for a minute, all God wants for you. And then he got to the pivotal moment. He pulled out a handkerchief and dabbed his forehead. Friends, I could do it. That's why I've got a sparkly coat. He dabbed his forehead and he wiped the spit. That's why you never want to sit where Ross is sitting this morning. You're in the zone. You're in the range. But he wiped the, dabbed the spit and he goes, oh, God wants. And he looked at camera one. Then he looked at camera two. All God wants for you is for you to be happy. You know what I thought? Gross. Gross. Because I knew what he meant. All God wants for you is for you to be blessed. He wants you to be successful. He wants you to never have any trouble. He wants you to be happy. I wanted to go, nope, 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 nopeity, nope, nope. It's not what he wants. Read the scripture. Read it. Most of the folk who are the most faithful to God met untimely and terrible ends. I worry that, that in our society today, we've conflated easy news with good news. We want easy news because it's easy to build a crowd and it's easy to build a church and it's easy to build a movement around meeting people's desires. We, 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 fa- we can fashion everything into this easy news, this, this happy news, and never realize that that wasn't Jesus's good news. Our spiritual dinner bell has been rung But blessed has become happy and easy in our society. I get the appeal. It's a seductive message. 
Happy and easy sale. Come follow Jesus. It's easy. Fall at the altar. Give your life to Christ and all your worries will be gone. That's an easy way to get you up here. Your troubles vanish. Your enemies will suffer. You, you name it and you can claim it. Whatever you want is yours. But the problem with that is it's not how Jesus operated. It's not biblical. Jesus gives us a list of happy and blessed people. And it's anything but easy. Sometimes it can sound downright miserable. Now that's not fun to say. I'd rather get up here and tell you that you can have everything you ever wanted, every time, everywhere, anywhere, but it's just not so. That's not how it works. Jesus calls people happy who have certain traits and certain characteristics that we need to ascribe to. He says, happy are those who are vulnerable. He doesn't say it like that, but he says, the poor in spirit and the mourning and the gentle and the meek. Uh, uh, those folk who are vulnerable to the point of being wounded, those people are blessed and happy. Um, when my children were little, I, I, as a parent, the one thing I don't handle very well is, uh, and it's not great because children do it all the time, is it's messy mistakes. Um, things that make a mess because I don't want to have to clean it up. I'd rather my children just uh, not touch anything or do anything all day long. If y'all's children are like that, maybe we'll swap. You know, just come see me afterwards. But I can't remember which child it was, but they had gone in the refrigerator and they wanted some milk and they had gotten the gallon milk jug and they had tried to pour it. How many of y'all as adults can't pour out of a gallon milk jug? Um, and all of a sudden I hear, boom, boom, boom. Glug, 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 glug. To which I turn around on the, this was before I could afford an open concept house and see what was going on. Before I was blessed, you know, before that. And so I had to come around the corner. And as I came around the corner, I stepped in the milk. And I find my kid on the floor with a rag just trying to wipe it up. And they, they cower back. I don't know what they think I'm going to do. I am going to yell. I'm going to yell. Uh, it's my, I need to move to sanctification. I'm not there yet, but I'm going to yell. But I see them trying to do it up with the, the milk. And I, I look at them and I say, what are you doing? They go, I just want I just want milk, I just want milk, I just want milk. And I said to them, well, as they're scooping up the milk, as I'm trying to get some stuff to go, I go, why didn't you ask for help? And they looked at me and said, I can do it myself. And I go, all evidence to the contrary. I just wanted to do it myself. Friends, how many of you are sitting in the spilled milk of your life? How many? Because as I looked at that child, they were pretty miserable. There's nothing quite as bad as a milk-filled rag on a milk-filled floor in a milk-filled puddle of your own making, right? How many of you feel like you're in that kind of life and God comes around the corner and says, God's not a yeller like I am, but God goes, what are you doing? And we look at God and go, I can do it. I can do it myself. To which he looks at us and shakes his head and says, what? 
All evidence to the contrary. Blessed and happy are the vulnerable. Those who give it over to God. Say, Lord, I I can't do this by myself. So happy are the the vulnerable, the people that that turn it over to God, who say, Lord, I'm in a puddle of my own making. I'm in a puddle of life that has just beaten me up and torn me down and left me here grieving and mourning and gentle, and I just don't know what to do. Lord, I give it to you. Happy are those people, not because the milk is gone, but because the Savior is on his knees helping you clean it up. Blessed are those people because they're not in it by themselves. Blessed are the vulnerable. Blessed are the malleable. He says those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who believe that we need to make right what's wrong. That's what righteousness is. Hunger and thirst for rights to be made wrong and are pure in heart. Those who are malleable. Blessed are those who can and are willing to be reshaped. They seek growth and purity. They know that life is a process of becoming. I want you to hear this quote by uh, Bertrand Russell. Says this, the whole problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are always so certain of themselves and wiser people are so full of doubt. You know what the big idol in America is today that, that makes people unhappy? You ready? Confidence confidence. We have folks who are so loud and so sure of themselves and they're so miserable. Maybe if for once we approached a situation and we thought to ourselves, maybe I don't know what's best. Maybe I need some guidance from the Lord. Maybe I need to wait and see. Maybe I need to treat each other, other people with dignity and kindness and give them the benefit of the doubt. Blessed are the malleable. Those people, in my opinion of this world, are the happier people. Jesus had it right. Blessed are those who are not so confident in everything. Who can be shaped and formed by God's hand, not by their own opinion. And then blessed are the hopeful. Blessed are those that are in despondent and difficult circumstances and yet hope anyway. Those that can see beyond their immediate predicament into a future and a broader place. I think that might be the most sacred thing in a world full of cynicism. Lord, give us hope that things are not as they always will be. And that you will be victorious. Now you may ask, how can we be hopeful when there's so much wrong in the world? Maybe it's because Jesus never saw the kingdom of God as being dependent on the circumstances that surround us. When Jesus says blessed and he says happy, some translations say happy. We always view that through the sphere of circumstance. What's happening to me? Think back to that hashtag. What's happening to me? Can I be happy? Can I be satisfied with the circumstances that are surrounding me? But as Jesus comes in to usher in his ministry in Matthew's gospel, remember what Matthew calls Jesus' ministry over and over and over. Jesus has come to proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. 
He talks in Matthew about, you know, how can they mourn when the bridegroom is here? How can they mourn when the Son of God and the Son of Man is in this place? How can they mourn when Jesus is with them? Friends, it tells me that if he's going to bring about the kingdom of God, that he's not worried about the circumstances we find ourselves in. The kingdom of God is not about circumstances. It's about the presence of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is where Jesus is. The kingdom of God is always an eschatological or, or, or future reality. When he was with them, Jesus' presence, not the people's circumstances, create God's kingdom. And God's kingdom is where he is. So he ushers in the kingdom with good news, not easy news. But the great part of the Beatitudes is this. No matter what, he shows us where we can find him. I was watching... The Chosen, which is a series about disciples. Now, it doesn't, it, sometimes it goes a little, any, anytime you watch TV shows about, about religious stuff, it, they can go a little wonky sometimes, but the beautiful parts are beautiful in that show. And one of the episodes is about the Beatitudes. And throughout the whole thing, um, Jesus calls his opening sermon a map, a map, a map, a map, a map. And I kept wondering why the show kept having Jesus emphasize that his sermon is a map. And he's talking to Matthew, who's been ostracized. And it goes through the Beatitudes, blessed are this and blessed are that and blessed are this. And each time it shows one of his disciples, because each one of his disciples is one of those blessed, blessed, those who mourn, those who suffer, those who this, those who that. And is it focuses in on the end, he finishes up and he looks at Matthew and Matthew says, it's beautiful, but how is it a map? And it's at that point that Jesus looks at Matthew and he says to Matthew, because if people are looking for me, that's where they'll find me. That's where they'll find me. I'd never read the Beatitudes like that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who suffer. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Friends, as you read the gospel, where do you always find Jesus? In those places. He came to bring about the kingdom of God, which was really about his presence. He shows us where to find him. Here's where it would be. If he's anywhere, he's where he's needed, among the vulnerable, among the malleable, among the hopeful. No cheap promises, no free lunch, just the reality of his kingdom come. The world is broken, but it won't always be. I've come, and Jesus says, let's get this party started on this ball of confusion that we call earth. If the world sees you as small, take heart. They get lots of things wrong. You're so much more. Jesus looks at these broken people and he says to them with a gleam in his eye, you're blessed. You're happy. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe that televangelist was right. Maybe all God does want for you is for you to be happy. The part the megachurch pre preacher got wrong is understandable. We judge happiness by circumstances. 
Jesus judges it by relationships. Happy are those, Jesus says, who are next to me. Go follow God's hint. See him where he loves to be. The broken will receive him. I take it back. All God wants for you is for you to be happy. Would you pray with me? Lord, we want so many things, but usually we don't want to be around you. We run from you. We hide from you. We seek after other things that we think will satisfy, and they just don't. So, Lord, give us a heart that, that hungers for you, and we'll be blessed. Put us with those who you're around, and we'll be blessed. Lord, I just ask that you'd build us into a mighty movement for you, of people motivated by your presence, both now and forever. Amen. These altars are open. I don't know what you need to pray about, but if you got something to pray about, come pray up here. Um, if you come and pray, Susan and I will pray silently over you. If you need more than that, just let us know. But let's stand and sing our closing hymn this morning.